0: Could see i so can't you see me? You with me. You with me. Hey, Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149, and uh, Patrick Alog, who's sitting in today for Jim Shaper. And Patrick Alog's a big Swifty, as you all know. So he had to play some Taylor Swift. He he's just becoming more... I'm going to go on air right now and say yeah. no. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, come on, man. you got to play along with the football. I know, but, but... <laughs> but I have but, a no. reputation. Not... Speaking <laughs> he, you know, of reputation, oh my goodness. All right, the Swift <laughs> puns continue. Taylor Swift showed up at the Chiefs-Bears game in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. And uh, the ripple effects are still being felt throughout the world, and maybe even in the presidential election in the U.S. She may have a huge influence on that. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But this happened before she showed up, when, when the rumors were just starting to fly that she might be dating Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey. Here's what Ian Eagle, a uh, famed broadcaster, here, here's a call of a Kelsey touchdown that happened even before this. Check this out. Kelsey, the motion man, low snap. Mahomes moving pocket. Mahomes floats it up. Kelsey finds a blank space for the score. <laughs> blank space, another Swift tune. So he kind of went viral for that call, Ian Eagle. But uh, Taylor Swift did show up to the Chiefs game with the Bears on Sunday. Predictably so. This created an incredible amount of interest. Now, if, you, if you're wondering why this matters... Since that game, just just in the last couple of days, Travis Kelsey jersey sales have gone up 400%. Travis Kelsey has a podcast along with his brother uh, Jason Kelsey, who plays a, who is a center for the Philadelphia Eagles. They played each other in the Super Bowl last year. You might remember this. So their podcast called New Heights, since Taylor Swift showed up at the game, that has now jumped to the number one spot in the entire world. It, it ranks number one overall on Apple Podcasts. How about that travis kelsey now has three hundred eighty-three thousand instagram followers that he has just added since sunday i don't know how many he had before but he's got an extra 383k as for the chiefs bears game now obviously the chiefs are the defending super bowl champions the bears are not quite at that level yet uh, i'm really sad about that everyone thought that the bears are gonna really turn the corner this year and uh <laughs> wow uh they took a a hard turn in the wrong direction. Having said that, okay, the season's not over yet, but uh, Chicago obviously has a huge fan base uh, all across the U.S. But a lot of people tuned in to watch that game just because Taylor Swift was there. They kept showing her. I mean, Fox wasn't dumb. I mean, they, they're showing shots of her in the in the private box, and uh, Greg Olson and uh, Kevin Burkhart kept saying, I think we're going to be doing this shot quite a few times during the game, just to let you know. So, Advertising execs, uh, broadcasting execs were really happy about this. 24.3 million Americans watched that game on Sunday between the Bears and the Chiefs. Blowout as it was. People wanted to see Taylor. 63% jump in female viewership. between, And this is the coveted 18 to 49 demographic. 18 to 49-year-old women, 63% jump in that category. I wonder why. Three times the the increase of Google searches for chiefs on the web. Three times the increase in chiefs' sales tickets on StubHub. Uh, They also sold more uh, tickets in a single day since the start of the season. So the chiefs were happy she was there. Fox was happy that she was there. But is the GOP happy? Uh, Well, Taylor Swift might become a problem for the Republican Party. And by the way, I will never tell you who to vote for. I, I, I am apolitical here. Uh, I'm in Canada, for goodness sakes. I, I have my own issues I need to deal with. Uh, the second Republican debate is happening tonight, as you know, and Taylor Swift might have an outsized impact on the 2024 election, just as another person who's not in the debate tonight. Donald Trump will have as well. He's the, far and away the frontrunner still for the Republican nomination, has not deigned to show up at any of the debates yet, doesn't feel that he needs to. It's hard to argue with him on that front, but we'll see what happens. So interesting thought piece by Rex Hupke, uh, writing in USA Today about just this, how Taylor Swift might, with her reputation alone, uh, swing the 2024 presidential election. She's 33 years old now. And to be able to break the grip of the media in talking about the NFL on a Sunday in the fall, is, that's a spectacular feat. And it really became the story that she was at this game. And this is the power of the Swifties. That's her fan base. That's what they're called, the Swifties. The Swifties might might have a hand in swinging the election next year. Now, here's a case in point. This is mentioned by Rex Hupke in his article. Just a few days ago, before, the, before she showed up at Arrowhead Stadium, September the 19th, National Voter Registration Day, Taylor Swift put out one Instagram post, just one, Kind of about this whole topic. And the nonprofit group vote.org all of a sudden registered more than 35,000 new voters, like right away. And that was 25%. That was a 25% increase over when they did this last year. 115% jump in the 18 year olds who registered for this. So 18 year olds in that category, that age group, a 115% jump just because Taylor Swift put out an Instagram post. So I'm pretty sure that she is not going to be voting Republican. And whether you do or not, that's the decision you're going to have to make. But this could wind up influencing the the election somehow. Now, not not because anybody's going to change their view necessarily. Let let's face it, everybody's pretty entrenched in their positions. It's a, everyone's kind of dug in. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're you're probably not going to change your mind. Probably some some will, of course, but. But what's really in play here is is people who haven't voted in the past. Young people who maybe didn't care enough to vote. There, there are large blocks of people, maybe even older people, who have kind of just given up on this whole thing and said, I'm out, I, I just can't take this anymore. If these people can be encouraged to vote, it could have a huge impact. And so apparently the, the, the turnout of voters ages 18 to 29, so this would be the 2022 midterms, Is the second highest it's ever been in three decades. Now, allegedly, allegedly, according to the stats provided here, that in this category of 18 to 29 year olds, Democrats are preferred over Republicans by a 28 point margin. That's pretty high. That's pretty high, allegedly, among young people. I also get the feeling there are a lot of young people who are voting Republican, too, these days. But uh, this is kind of what we saw over the last, uh, some surprises over the, over the last couple of years. Um, in Wisconsin, Democratic Governor Tony Evers won over his Republican opponent, and apparently 70% of young voters voted for this guy. Um, also, a Democratic liberal justice was, was voted to the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin as well, and that is attributed to young voters as well voting for this person. Former Governor Scott Walker said this, quote, younger voters are the issue. It comes from years of radical indoctrination on campuses, in schools, with social media, throughout culture. We have to counter this or conservatives will never win battleground states again, end of quote. So again, with this guy saying Rex uh, Hupke, he's, he's saying it's highly doubtful that Somebody like Taylor Swift could get somebody who normally votes Republican to vote Democratic or that anybody else could switch somebody the other way. But this large untapped group, especially of young people who don't normally vote, if she can encourage them to vote, it could make a big difference. And Patrick Alog, you're wise to point this out to me earlier. We were talking about this and you had mentioned something that happened back in 2007, a celebrity endorsement. Can you talk about this? I remember, yeah, about 16 years ago when, uh, the primary elections were coming up uh, on the democratic side and republican side on the democratic side you had uh, barack obama and hillary clinton and oprah winfrey made an endorsement of senator barack obama for presidency and some people yeah. said that swung the democratic nomination towards uh, barack obama yeah that, that this was back in 2007 and they're both you know have chicago roots obviously and so she endorsed him for the democratic nominee he obviously got it. He obviously won the presidency in 2008. But Taylor Swift's influence is way bigger than anything Oprah ever had back in 2007 because social media wasn't a factor back then. So this is a huge, huge um, potential factor in, in the election. It could, in some key battleground states, the Swifties might might carry the day. I don't know, but it's uh, it's an interesting topic to be sure. I think a lot of people are tired of hearing about Taylor Swift. But uh, I mean, she's she's basically running a small economy right now. Her present era's tour is on track to gross. I, I've got the got the, uh, the the stats here. Well, Beyonce's uh, tour is only going to gross um, half a billion dollars only. Only I say, and I think uh, the era's tour is on track for five billion dollars in economic activity. Can you believe that? Question always is, and I, and again, I go back to this little survey that used to be given to university students by an evangelical group called Campus Crusade for Christ. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with them. And they used to try to evangelize students on campuses. And they would ask the question, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Is there some person, something that you're focusing most of your attention and thoughts and and dreams and, and there's no question that, that people are looking for role models and sometimes those role models can easily become idols in one's life and for a lot of the Swifties I don't know I might have gone too far there, there's no question about that and um, a lot of them are quite young and impressionable and if Taylor says you should do this they will probably listen to her it's a factor for sure and that always has been it always has been there always have been celebrity endorsers and this is kind of the the danger with the faith as well whenever there's a celebrity convert to catholicism there's always a danger everyone wants to kind of say oh if this person's catholic maybe i should think about it and it's true that these people have a lot of influence that you and i don't have they can reach large numbers of people but sometimes people have feet of clay and, and and sometimes people who haven't been catholic for five minutes are put forward as paragons of the faith and that there's a danger there. There's a danger there. So the faith isn't true because a Hollywood actor or singer decides to embrace it. It, it, It's true because it is true. And I'm glad if they do, that that's fantastic. Uh, We do need Catholics in in these spheres in the arts because they are so highly influential. There's no question about it. And that's one of the reasons why, why Peter Atkinson founded the merry beggars, but uh, point well taken, point well taken that, uh, Gary, and and thanks for that call in Pittsburgh. All right, let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to, where are we going? Fountain Valley, California. Rudy, hello, Rudy. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for calling in, sir. I always ask the younger kids, I always ask them, what's the difference between morals and ethics? Hmm. And they'll look at me like, and I will tell them, look, ethics, you could have business ethics, which if a company is going bankrupt, they'll give pink slips to try to save the company where the moral issue would be do the right thing. And they will say, well, you know, I don't want to lose anyone here. I don't want to give pink slips. Are you guys willing to take less money, but I want to make the company survive. And that's mm-hmm. what I always hit them with the difference. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a subtle difference uh, to some in talking about ethics, morality, uh, there are they are intertwined, of course, uh, for sure in a lot of ways. Hey, thanks for that call, Rudy. Appreciate you in Fountain Valley, California, listening to the program. And obviously, uh, the last couple of calls a of reference to something we talked about before the break. Um, really interesting piece by Monsignor Charles Pope about unbelief in the culture, and 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 there there is a, a moral code that people will adhere to if it's not if it's not the Catholic Christian code, it's going to be. Uh, a code of their own making, uh, uh, almost a religion of, of one's own making. And there's certain movements in the culture that certainly operate in a religious way, almost in a cult-like way, a fanatical way. Uh, there's no question about that. So really, what's the answer? I think, I think one of the things we can do is, is look at, oddly enough, the readings for today uh, at Mass were really, really powerful uh, on this front. Uh, a book that not a lot of people are familiar with, the book of Ezra has been the Old Testament reading at Mass for the last few days this week. And this has to do with the return of the exiles, the return of the Israelites to Jerusalem. They obviously were exiled in Babylon, 586 BC. The Babylonians destroyed the temple that was built by King Solomon. It was a national disaster. They were carried away into captivity. But then after the Babylonians did this, the Medo-Persians kind of took over. There's a new king in town, King Cyrus. Not Cyrus Simcoe, of course, the producer of uh, the Patrick Madrid show here on Relevant Radio, though he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty wise uh, dude himself. However, having said that, uh, Cyrus uh, had, was very benevolent towards the Jews and said, you can go back and you can rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. And it was a tough task. Zerubbabel and eventually Ezra, they're, they're down there and, and they're involved in this work. And, and obviously Cyrus was a, was a pagan king. And I remember, you probably remember this too, that when, uh, during during Trump's presidency, a lot of people likened him to King Cyrus, maybe in his personal ways, he wasn't on, on line with the faith, but in spite of his own foibles, God used him to accomplish some things, and it, the Supreme Court justices, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. That's an interesting, it's an interesting analogy to make, it's an interesting comparison to make, I don't know if it's a fair comparison, I'm not saying that God ordained him to be president or anything like that. But, um, but nonetheless, good came out of that um, in terms of this, this ruling, which was very, very important for the culture and saving lives and, and, and reestablishing a culture of life. Anyways, but you probably heard that a lot, people trying to compare um, Trump's presidency to King Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire. Anyways, it's a tall task to try to rebuild Jerusalem, but, and this is kind of the task that we have to do, to undergo as well. We have to rebuild a civilization of love in the face of the culture of death. Um, that's a tough task. The culture of death is still in operation. And when Ezra came back to, to Jerusalem, it was a mess. Uh, there were people who no longer believed. Uh, there were opponents. It, it wasn't easy to to get the temple rebuilt, to rebuild the wall. Of course, Nehemiah kind of continues that on in the next book in the Bible. And so what do we do? What do we do today? That's where we go to the gospel. And I heard an interesting reflection by uh, Dr. John Bergsma, who teaches at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, uh, works with uh, Dr. Scott Hahn at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and they have a podcast called Letters from Home. And It's, it's really about the readings very often of the day, and I, I like that, Letters from Home, because ultimately they're letters from heaven. There are books that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in today's gospel, which comes to us from Luke chapter 9, it's all about Jesus sending out his disciples to evangelize. And, and it's interesting how he does this, and Dr. Bergma mentioned this, that when Jesus summoned the twelve, it says, He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither walking stick nor sack nor food nor money and let no one take a second tunic whatever house you enter stay there and leave from there and as for those who do not welcome you when you leave that town shake the dust from your feet in testimony against them then they set then they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and curing diseases everywhere it's kind of interesting that Jesus kind of sent them out with the basics they had to trust in God's providence he didn't give them a week or two to get ready. He didn't say, okay, guys, you're going to want to uh, pack a pup tent here. Um, and, and maybe one of those uh, containers on the top of your SUV to hold your, your gear. Um, because he, I think he kind of knew that if, if, if they had more time to prepare, it would have been more reason to delay. And he's saying this is really urgent. You, the message is urgent. Whether or not people believe is urgent. They're not going to believe if we don't get the message to them. They, they have to make that decision. And I think this is true and to think of an example from, I guess, the business world, there are all kinds of people who want to become entrepreneurs and they want to start businesses. And what they'll do is they'll read 20 books on entrepreneurship and how to start a business before they'll even think about actually starting one. They're trying to get more prepared. Maybe what they need to do is just start. You know, yeah, do, do a little bit of research, but that can be paralyzing at times. It, it really can. So sometimes we really just kind of got to grab the bull by the horn. Jesus says, don't bring a bag, don't bring an extra pair of sandals, just get started. Uh, it's like the life of prayer. How many people will read books on prayer, reams of books on how to pray, in preparation for getting serious about their prayer life? At some level, you can only learn how to pray by praying. Yeah, the books are good. There's, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but you've got to actually do it. Uh, in the same way, I think it's true when it comes to sharing our faith. We think, I'm not ready yet. I don't have the equipment. I've got to study some more. I, I've got to read some more books. Yeah, I mean, continue your formation, but start with what you've got. And sometimes you don't even know the questions that people are asking until you, you get talking to them. And you'll, you'll find out very quickly... A, what you're lacking, what you what you need to bone up on, what you need to study, what you need to know. And, and B, what, what the people that you're dealing with, what they really need from you. Uh, because you're probably not going to be evangelizing to the culture. You're not like Taylor Swift or their Instagram. She can just send out a message and all of a sudden, you know, millions of people are like, yes, I'll do it. You, 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 we're dealing with people more close to home, coworkers, workers uh, friends, neighbors specific people and everybody's individual with their individual needs and doubts and questions. And so we have to tailor our response, no pun intended to their needs. And so getting started is, is really, really important and doing what we can uh, in the, the, the small orbit that that we have in front of us. And so I think, I think it kind of ties in very much. It was interesting how those readings tied in today for sure. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Got to take a very quick break right now, but we will be right back with your phone calls. 888 Let's go for it. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is... The number to call. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show. Well, I give you a, a fact here. This is a sort of a fact segment here. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier the the twenty twenty four presidential race, how people like Taylor Swift could play a major role, whether people vote once again for Joe Biden or presumably uh, Donald Trump, who looks set to be the the Republican nominee again, even even in spite of his legal troubles. Um, Biden yesterday, President Biden was in Michigan. And he was with striking United auto workers, uh, the big three. Well, it used to be the big three, (laughs) you know, Ford, GM, Chrysler. Um, and he said he, he he actually agrees with their demands. They want to raise uh, wages by 40% for the union. And he also advocates another thing that the union is looking for, which is a 32 hour work week, a 32 hour work week. That's an interesting topic. Um, one of my favorite writers who writes about productivity, about business, about work is Cal Newport, uh, who's a computer science professor at Georgetown University, also a prolific New York best time New York Times bestselling author. He's working on another book, which is going to be coming out soon on something called slow productivity. Slow productivity. Now, what on earth is this about? It kind of ties into to all this. This idea of a thirty two hour work week. Interesting. Ba- back to the auto industry for a second. It was Ford who originally, now back when the assembly lines kind of got started and everything, producing Model Ts and stuff like that, auto workers actually used to work six days a week. But Ford kind of led the charge to have a 40 hour work week. And Henry Ford said that we want our workers to have a, a good home life. We want them to be, you know, to have productive families. And, and it's better for their work if they only work 40 hours a week. Well, now this push is down to 32 hours a week. Uh, there was a. Um, a politician in California named Mark DeCano who introduced a bill uh, trying to amend the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 to, which officially says the work week should be 40 40 hours a week. He wants to bump it down to 32. Now, obviously, this would have huge benefits for those who are um, hourly wage workers. Uh, Now, one of the benefits would be, hey, if you have to work over. 32 hours, then it's overtime pay. But also this idea of just cutting the, the work week back. There's been a number of studies that have shown in other countries that when people are on a four-day work week, that they're actually more productive, um, maybe because other aspects of their life are more in balance. Uh, they've done studies in, for example, Iceland, and even people in desk jobs who are not working assembly lines. And there's sort of a knowledge work. They're, they've tried four-day work weeks in Iceland, and they actually felt that they found that through the data that workers were feeling more energized, they were less stressed, probably because they had more time for socializing, for family, tackling domestic issues, and doing the laundry, whatever the case may be. Um, but they, they were quite happy with it as well. And uh, Cal Newport wrote, it, wrote an article not too long ago uh, in the New Yorker magazine about this whole concept of, of slow productivity. He doesn't necessarily think that moving to a 32-hour work week would necessarily solve the problem for a lot of knowledge workers because their biggest problem right now is burnout. There have been a number of Gallup polls that have shown that American workers are now among some of the most stressed workers in the entire world. Some of that is because of the pandemic, um, the zoom culture, all that stuff. But even, even the, um, The chief scientist from Gallup, remember all the Gallup polls are very, very important, Jim Harder, who's the uh, chief workplace scientist for Gallup, he said that the intersection of work and life needs some work. It needs some work. And this is where this whole idea of slow productivity comes in. It seems like the obvious solution is, let's bump the work week back to 32 hours. And uh, a lot of this, uh, as Cal Newport points out, a lot of this goes back to a guy named Carl Honore, who in 19, sorry in 2004, he put out a book called In Praise of Slowness. In Praise of Slowness. It was all about these slow movements that have sprung up all around the world. There's something called Slow Food that came out in the 1980s. And that's obviously a response to fast food in Italy, in Rome. Maybe Drew Mariani is there right now. I don't know. I know he's in Rome right now. Um, yeah, I got a fake email from him saying he needed money. I didn't fall for it. Uh, Near the Spanish steppes in Rome, they were going to open up a McDonald's, and people just revolted. There was this manifesto that came out rejecting the fast life personified by fast food. And they said, let's slow things down. Let's start in the kitchen. Obviously, Italians love food, food culture, but it soon moved beyond food. Um, This guy, Carl Honoré, in his book talked about slow cities. And by that, he means maybe walkable cities. You can walk to get your groceries, like in the old days, and walk to your job or whatever. Slow medicine. I don't know what. I don't know if I want slow medicine. Yeah, I will see you. Your doctor will see you in about three months. Just, just chill. Slow parenting. I don't know what that is. Maybe being patient. Um, but slow work obviously became another thing that became a buzzword. So here, here's where, where where there's kind of a conflict, like two rams, you know, you know, their horns, you know, just locking in, in conflict. There's American hustle culture. And then there's a slow work movement. They don't seem to match at all. And in fact, uh, in one uh, particular management journal, there was, a, there was an ad that, that came up that said, your rivals are salivating over your four day work week that you're giving your employees. Remember, there's always someone willing to work harder than you. So, so how do you reconcile this? There, there's obviously been a huge burnout among knowledge workers, office workers. But if we back it down to 32 hours, is that is that really going to help? Is that really going to help? I, I, Cal Newport says this isn't going to help. Reducing the length of the work week is not going to cure the real problem. The real problem is the volume of work that people have, that they're assigned at any one time. And, and when people have been autonomous, they, they've been kind of working on their own, especially during the, the COVID times. They, they had trouble managing stuff and it became just unbearably stressful. Inboxes stuffed with hundreds of messages, task lists that would fill a, you know, a small book. And it, it eventually just becomes too much and the executive functioning part of your brain can't handle it anymore because you're taking on too many projects at the same time. And this is what can lead to burnout. So he, he says what we need is slow productivity. doesn't mean not working hard. No, we're working as hard as ever, but keeping our volume of work at a sustainable level. Now, how do you do that exactly? That's a great question. That's a great question. But he basically says we can't confuse activity with productivity because a lot of people are really, 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 really busy doing a lot of stuff, but they're not that productive in terms of their outcome. And and, and maybe it's because things are out of balance in certain ways. People are trying to do too much. Um, I don't know if knocking another eight hours off the work week will, will help. that. Anyways, I'm sure that will, I'm sure what he thinks will, what he'll propose his answers will be in his next book. That's for sure. So we'll have more, we'll talk more about this in the future. This idea of slow productivity, it's a, It's an in, intriguing topic for sure. All right. Well, it's been a fun hour being with you on the Cale Clark show today. Patrick A. Log produced sitting in for Jim Shaper today. Jim will be back tomorrow. Miranda Siniseros took your phone calls. Always good to have you with me. If you missed any of this or, or any of the other shows that we've had this week, check the podcast on the relevant radio app. Share it with a friend. Stay tuned. Keep it locked to relevant radio all night long. Timory's up next, followed by Father and the Family Rosary across America. God bless you. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.